And please remember to like, subscribe, and GFY. What's up, guys? Welcome to Have Fun Stacking Sats. This is going to be the third or fourth episode of our Adopting Bitcoin series. And today I have the privilege of having Patrick from Bitcoin Lake. What's going on, Patrick? How you doing, man? Hey, man. Hey, man. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Um, well, and by the way, it's, it's my privilege uh, to, to be here and talk with you. Anytime I get a chance to talk about what we're doing down at Bitcoin Lake, I, I always enjoy the opportunity. So thanks for the, the platform. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, if, if your audience is not familiar with what we're doing down in Guatemala, we are uh, we're uh, our, the name of our project is Bitcoin Lake. And it's in a little town called Panajachel, Guatemala, or Pana for short. And we started a little less than a year ago, January of this year. And it's the project has just exceeded my expectations. There are some some areas that um, I wish would move along a little bit better, but as far as the, the I guess the notoriety or the interest that people have shown has just exceeded my expectations. So I'm super excited to talk to you about, um, you know, what what we're doing. Awesome, yeah, and, yeah. And just for the audience' sake, just just my background. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little older. I've got some gray hair, but um, I'm a I'm a surgeon by training and got out of medicine, retired from medicine about two years ago, and kind of started working full time on this project. And uh, at that time and started in bitcoin first purchased my bitcoin and my first bitcoin not not whole bitcoin but bitcoin in 2018 and then but didn't really understand the fundamentals and i think like a lot of people during the covid shutdowns had a lot of extra time on my hands and that's kind of when i went down the rabbit hole and started developing the thesis that that became bitcoin lake and yeah so that's my background happy to happy to talk as much as you want so one of the things that I learned throughout the process of reading about you guys is there's actually two Bitcoin lakes. Is that wrong? So no, that's right. That's right. Um, I, you know, I don't. The um, there are two Bitcoin lakes. <laughs> the the way I like to kind of parse that is, you know, as Bitcoiners, we're all about proof of work, and so I think if if you want to learn about what we're doing or the other uh, project, just, you know, look at our proof of work. And I, you know, that's, that's kind of all I want to say. About that. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. So I, wasn't, I wasn't sure, um, you know, cause it's Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin is decentralized. Yeah. Yeah. So Bitcoin communities are decentralized yeah. and uh, you know, how many Bitcoin beaches are there going to be? You know, every yeah. beach is Bitcoin beach if you think about it. Right. So, yeah. so you're going to run yeah. into these sort of things. So what, so looking at, um, your so okay our experience with bitcoin lake is from stack chain right yeah. so we came across you guys and um at that mo at that time you were working with the school and trying to get some 3d printers so what so yeah. why don't you why don't you tell us about your stack chain experience and then we can talk about the school and kind of go from there yeah i mean i, I want to thank uh, derek ross for kind of introducing me to stack chain and he's been a, a big fan and follower of of our project for quite some time and i reached out, out to him to see if um, stack trainers would be interested in helping us acquire some 3d printers and uh, he said yeah and so my experience with stack trainers has been phenomenal and within i, I don't it wasn't even a full day um, we had all the funds that we needed to acquire the 3d printers 
the funds to acquire the 3D printers. Unfortunately, at the time, uh, I was planning a return trip down to Guatemala. I don't live there. I, I can explain all that. I was re- returning a planning a return trip down to Guatemala, and so when we received the the funds, the price of Bitcoin was um, not where it is now. And oh no! So we were able to. Yeah, but we were so um, when I went down to El Salvador and then um, took a group from adopting Bitcoin to Guatemala, I um, acquired a, a 3D printer, took it to the school, and we actually did the inaugural, you know, unveiling of it at the school. Even though they were out of session, we had an open house and, and demonstrated the 3D print and 3D printer and some initial 3D print. So uh, it was a phenomenal experience, and the. The reason I wanted to do that, uh, first of all, I'm into 3D printing and really kind of got into 3D printing from my Bitcoin experience. It's just another decentralized technology that even before Bitcoin, I knew 3D printing was going to change, you know, how how we do things. And so um, as I thought about, okay, we're bringing a decentralized technology with Bitcoin to PonHL to these children that just don't have access to anything like this. And I thought, you know, 3D printer would be yet another cool example of this decentralized technology that can transform their lives in a small community that's three hours outside the the major the uh, Guatemala City. So that's kind of the history and the experience, and I'm I'm truly thankful for Stack Chainers. And hopefully, the new school year when it begins here in January, uh, February, will I'll be showing off some some cool 3D prints that the kids have done. That's awesome. Well, you know, and um, thank you for giving this that opportunity because, um, you know, stack for the most part, stack tanners are just working class people stacking stats. Right. So we don't have the opportunity to necessarily go to these communities and participate. Mm. So when people when we, we understand how important this is, Bitcoin adoption around the world is really, really important. It's not just about, you know, fiat value go up it's about decentralization and censorship and we all really really believe in that so when communities like bitcoin lake or you know bitcoin akazi bitcoin beach or whatever when we have an opportunity to help these communities it's honestly like the best part of stack chain where we can like reach out and make a positive impact in the world and that doesn't happen without people like you patrick so well thanks so much i mean i'm i'm honored because i think that the what the 3D printer does is, you know, just, I mean, I've, I've been, I've, I've been in school for, <laughs> I went through school for many, many years. And um, I think the promise of decentralized technology, uh, 3D printers, Bitcoin, the educational system that Mike Saylor's um, got going, it's allowing children who normally wouldn't have access to something like that to be able to participate. And, um, uh, not everyone needs to go and get, you know, a four-year degree or a master's or a graduate degree. And if they could just learn and apply themselves. And I think that's one of the things that's kind of broken or wrong with our American educational system is, you know, you get into public school setting and they kind of channel you. First of all, they channel you into um, the single path that everybody should get into. And and we all know that we shouldn't all be on the same path. And they, they, they channel us towards mediocrity. And because, you know, you you can't have a, a curriculum um, that's for everybody if you've got exceptional students and middle students and low students. And so they just kind of funnel us into mediocrity. And I think decentralization is going to kind of allow us to individually flourish um, 
I whole, wholeheartedly believe that. Um, so it's kind of cool to be on that end of it. I, I completely agree. So tell us about the school. What What is the school and, and what are you guys doing there? Yeah, so our the, the school is Central Educativo Josue. It's a small Christian school, um, although it's not a it's run by a Christian family, but it's, they don't really push a Christian curriculum. But that, that's the that's the background. And we first came uh, became aware of uh, CEJ or Central Educativo Josue when I took my family down to Guatemala in 2012. And I, I would take my family down and we would do summer art camps and we'd go every year. We went every year from 2012 to 2018. And we developed a relationship with Nancy, who owns the school and her children. And because of that association, when I started learning about Bitcoin and where I wanted to apply it, um, I immediately thought of Panachel and, and the school. And it, so that's that's kind of what the school's about. It, but it's it's really kind of a small Christian school. It's kind of a step between uh, the poor educational environment that's that is kind of common within the public Guatemalan school system. But it really prepares students for that next step to kind of get the, I guess what the U.S. would be probably, you know, uh, high, uh, you know, junior high, uh, junior, senior high school education and or vocational training. But it, it kind of preps them for that next step. So. Awesome. Awesome. So Bitcoin Lake is a is a larger project. Um, it doesn't just involve the school, but you guys are doing other things there as well. So what, what are some of the other things you guys are doing? Yeah, so uh, let me just kind of explain my philosophy of um, how I started the project or what, what uh, how I conceived of it. And then I'll kind of explain what we're doing and then kind of, you know, what's, what's going on right now. So when I was go- going down the proverbial rabbit hole, I was starting to develop, develop kind of, you know, I, well, I like I think like most Bitcoiners who go down that rabbit hole, just kind of blown away with just every Bitcoin and forget the monetary aspects, just the just everything that Bitcoin could fix. And uh, because of my Christian faith, my Christian background, um, I really wanted to have a project that um, demonstrated what Bitcoin could do in certain disadvantaged economies. And because one of the problems, you know, when we go on our our uh, trips. I had been on previous trips with churches, um, you know, uh, uh, years before. But one of the problems when you go on a Christian mission or a humanitarian mission, like with the Peace Corps or something like that, you know, you can go build a church, you can go build a school, you can dig a water well. But a lot of times what's lacking is economic um, opportunity. And the reason for that is it's really difficult to create economic opportunity without creating dependence. You know, you come as a the privileged white guy or the privileged person from the West. And if you start giving people money, then it just completely um, clouds and, and uh, muddies that relationship. And it can, it can make your work worse than what you uh, wanted it to be, what you wanted it to be at the beginning. So that whole piece of trying to bring economic opportunity without dependence was kind of rattling around in my brain. And the, um, because of the the vast natural resources in the lake region, which we could talk about, um, and because of the promise of Bitcoin mining, I thought, wow, this would be a great opportunity to use the the wind, the solar, the hydro, the geothermal. You know, basically every possible renewable energy source known to man is available in Panachel. 
but because it's not in a uh, geographic, you know, um, high population center, all, all of that energy is stranded and or wasted, which we'll talk about. Um, so the plan was to create a, a mining um, facility or a mining concept where uh, the energy that was being used, the sats that were created from that, a portion of that would go back into the back into the economy. You know, and I always like to say this, and, and we haven't really figured out what this is going to look like yet, but, you know, rather than UBI, which is universal basic income, that comes from a centralized source and it's distributed, uh, we like to call this DBI, decentralized basic income, where you're taking basically decentralized energy sources and distributing it back into the into the um, community uh, because it's their energy. And um, and the other thing that I always like to mention on podcasts like this or when I'm talking about what we're doing down there is – uh, my wife is Mexican-American, you know, association with the Hispanic culture. And, it, you know, it's not lost on me that what the Europeans and Spaniards have done, you know, four or 500 years ago has a lasting legacy. They came in and they, they basically just took advantage of the indigenous community, took, took um, all the gold from the land and took it back to Europe, you know, very large transfer of wealth. And so I look at, at, um, Bitcoin is digital gold, and I, I feel strongly that, you know, I want the digital gold of that region to stay there, and that's that's a real uh, important thing for me. So um, I wanted Bitcoin Lake to demonstrate what Bitcoin could do, so we were focusing on Bitcoin mining, uh, focusing on education, and then obviously, like all of the Bitcoin economies or circular economies out that are out there, projects that are out there, we wanted to create a circular economy so that businesses could um, accept Bitcoin and the citizens could, if they receive Bitcoin, then they could start spending it, obviously. And the, the, the main, really, there's really nothing nuanced or, or complicated about that proposition for the people there in Panachel. Um, the, the easy sell for us when we started talking about Bitcoin was the fact that we're giving you access to a generational savings technology and uh, access to an asset that you never have access to before. So from that perspective, it was kind of easy to talk to the Guatemala. Don't, I don't want to make it sound like it was like happy-go-lucky and you know <laughs> everything, the, the dominoes fell. It was a, it's a freaking lot of hard work, but um, you know, you don't have to get real complicated about monetary policy and you know, all that, because they, they live in, in inflation. They understand all that just intuitively. So when you're giving them access to something like Bitcoin, they, you know, it they get it, okay? That doesn't mean they're going to accept it, but they understand what you're saying and what and they understand the promise that Bitcoin holds. But, um, yeah. What 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 is the inflation like in Guatemala? It's, um, I really don't know the, I've never really calculated the inflation. I know it's, beyond what it's here in the States, just that's intuitive based on uh, the cancel uh, on effect. And then the, um, the, the fact that, you know, basically our monetary policy dictates all monetary policy in right. Central America. And the, the very interesting thing about Guatemala is even though the local currency, the Quetzal is a pretty stable currency, um, they, they're just totally dependent upon the U S economy I, I will, or U.S. monetary policy. I will say that uh, I was it, on one of my trips. I think it was in March. We were sitting down at a restaurant, and we saw inflation, you know, 
taking hold because we had I'd been to this certain restaurant several weeks before. We get there and I'm looking at the the menu and they had taken little strips of tape or paper and putting on new prices. So uh, we were we were living the same inflation that the U.S. was, but I, I can't give you a specific number. But it's it's intuitive that it's it's higher than. Well, I mean, I wasn't so much interested in the number, but more like the impact on the, of the people, because like inflation has a a like an imbalanced, you know, effect on people who are disadvantaged, like the wealthy, they feel inflation, but they have assets. So the assets keep pace with inflation. But those people who don't have assets, you know, they get they get harmed. And I don't, I don't really know Guatemala's you know, economic story. I, I know, you know, I know a little bit of the history with like the, uh, what's it called? The, the fruit, the fruit company and, and, yeah. and all these things. And I know that it's like a buffer zone where there's a lot of um, not legal traffic that flows through the country. It, it's not, it's right. not, it's not happening from the people of Guatemala. It's just, it's poorly located in that, illegal things have to travel back and forth and Guatemala's in the way. So, right. you know, that causes a lot of suffering there. Um, the, the people. Anthony, so, I will say, you know, there, there are a lot of immigrants or immigrants uh, from Guatemala that come to the U S uh, but you're right. A lot of the, the negative press that we hear is coming from further South. And obviously um the drugs have to make their way from Colombia all the way up through Central America. So there are drug routes and, and things like that. But um, by and large, the the um, the economic situation in, in Guatemala is such that, you know, like any developing country, you've got the very rich and you've got the very poor. Um, there's there. It's not a middle class that, that we would think of, but there are some that are, you know, not poor. Um, but Guatemala is kind of interesting because the after they had a very long civil war, 40 years of war, similar story to or a lot of it was instigated by the uh, American um, government, CIA. But um, the when, at the conclusion of the civil war, the military junta or, or the dictatorship that was in place uh, was obviously very corrupt, um, but they persisted in the current government. Um, structure. So corruption is so, so um, endemic within the government of Guatemala. And and it's not something you could point to something and say, hey, I see corruption there. It's, you know, it's a bribe here, it's a bribe there, or things cost more than they should because someone's taken a cut off of it. Or, you know, I, I can, t and I'm going to tell a story uh, when we get going a little bit about um, what I saw in corruption. But, um, and the really neat thing about where we are in Guatemala is it was raging. It was really the government forces against the indigenous people. And we're three hours outside of Guatemala City in the, uh, in, in the west of Guatemala, heavily indigenous Mayan population. And they suffered tremendously at the hands of the government. And there's a significant distrust of any central authority in this part of Guatemala. So um, it's very safe there because they're very close-knit and they don't trust outsiders you know government gringos are fine when we come in it's fine obviously but um it, the uh 
it's kind of a dichotomy in, in Guatemala. Um, that's kind of what I'm trying to paint. But yeah, we're trying to bring hope to that situation, obviously. Well, I mean, it sounds like a community that's ripe for Bitcoin. Like, you know, the yeah. distrust of government, this enormous, like, fiat suffering, like, you know, fiat is powered by war, right? And And these are the kind of places that suffer as a result of that. The people that live in these areas are going to understand this much better than we ever could. So it's, it's amazing that, how how did, so you, you, you said that the people that explaining Bitcoin and getting the people there to understand Bitcoin is fairly simple. How have they embraced it? Uh, let me, let me qualify that. It's, it's not, I, I don't think explaining Bitcoin simple that the concepts that we're trying to educate them on are simple enough for them of what they've lived in. And as far as how's it going, I will say that just first of all, just I want to acknowledge my team that that helps me do this, you know, oh, um, please, remarkably. Yeah. I, I don't live in Guatemala. I don't even speak Spanish. I, I mean, I know enough to get by, but um, we have a group, um, Eric Gonzalez up in Canada, uh, Bill Whitaker here in the U.S., uh, Herson Martinez, and Ricardo Comron uh, are kind of part of the founding team as, as, as well as Nancy. So it's really, I'm, I'm the spokesperson, I'm the, I'm the face, but I couldn't be doing this without them. There's just no way I could be doing that. And then what made it really um, kind of an easy task, so to speak, for me is I met a Guatemalan down there uh, last year, actually about this time before we started the project. Uh, Eliazar is his name, and Eliazar has basically become our Chimbeta at Coin Beach. He's like the key person. He's, he's an extrovert. He's uh, gregarious, and he's just a lovable guy, and he's motivated and smart but he didn't know anything about Bitcoin. <laughs> so I'm sitting in a hotel having breakfast. He's my server. And you see, I'm wearing, I think I was wearing either a Bitcoin beach shirt or a Bitcoin magazine shirt, but it said Bitcoin on it. And he walked in his broken English, you know, what, what is Bitcoin? I want to know more about it. And um, from there, I invited him to an orange pill session that I was giving. He came and, uh, Little by little, he started learning about Bitcoin, and one of my founders and I sent him to Bitcoin Beach for a week. We paid for him to go there and kind of learn about it. So, and and he'll tell you the story. I mean, he was going to Bitcoin Beach. He didn't know anything. He didn't know what to expect. You know, he just knew that he was going to have this trip to Bitcoin Beach, and he went there and learned about it and was just blown away by what he saw, and he came back and was motivated and excited to help us with this project. And you know, he's the reason that we're a success. Uh, no, no question about it. Awesome. Awesome. Shout out. Um, you, the, the people there, how are the people at Bitcoin Lake using Bitcoin for the people that are using it? Well, right now, great question. Uh, what our goal was um, to basically recreate a Bitcoin beach environment in, in, in the sense that we, I wanted to attract Bitcoiners to come there and vacation. So the, there are kind of 
uh, if you look at kind of the current models that are being used right now, you've got uh, Coinacasi or Bitcoin Beach Brazil, where they're focusing exclu almost exclusively, and they're creating a kind of a mini circular economy with the children when they go to the tiendas or their shops to buy whatever they want to. And then you've got the Bitcoin jungle experience where it's really targeted towards expats and, you know, pretty sophisticated users and they're just looking for an easy, easy payment system. And then you've got the experiences like what's going on in Bitcoin beach and, and what we're doing is where we're trying to introduce Bitcoin because of all its promise, but we're really trying to, um, bring in a, a, a tourism aspect to it because the communities that we're working in are really prone to significant uh, tourism. And so at Bitcoin Beach, so to kind of give you a different uh, a picture of the, of the demographics, at Bitcoin Beach in El Salvador, it's a town of about 3,000 people. You know, if you go there, it, whatever you think about a, bit, about a surf town, that's Bitcoin Beach, right? Uh, nice. So lazy got a nice vibe to uh, Panachel is a town of about 18,000 people so it's five times the size uh, there people from all over the world come you know you can walk down one of the main tourist streets in Panachel and you can if you listen carefully enough you can probably hear four or five different languages and the uh, the lake Lake Atitlan is one of the most beautiful lakes in the world it, it tops the one of the top 10 most beautiful lakes in the world and so People come to Panachel as kind of a launch point, and there are about 16 or 17 other communities around the lake, and they come to Pana as a launch point, and then they go to these other communities to do whatever they want to, because every community has its own vibe, and some of these communities you can't reach but by boat. So um, we really wanted to target businesses that would uh, um, cater to tourists, and so that's kind of what we did. And we are just now getting into the phase of trying to target actual groups of, of locals to get them to uh, adopt Bitcoin and start using it um, because we really wanted people to come. It's, it's a chicken egg thing. You know, you can, you can onboard as many businesses as you want, but if people aren't coming to spend Bitcoin, then the business owner raises their eyebrow and says, well, you know, why do I want to accept Bitcoin? You know, people aren't spending Bitcoin. So we've gotten past that hurdle. And uh, here in this next year, we're going to be phasing in um, some really cool things, but uh, we're going to be reaching out to one of the barrios in Panachel. Uh, there are eight or nine uh, different barrios or small communities in Panachel. Um, this one has about 9,000 people in it. And then there's another smaller community up the mountain that we're going to be targeting specifically with some um, different Bitcoin education. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the lay of the land of, of what we're doing. Yeah. So um, you you are the the third person I've talked to that representing the third community in this adopting Bitcoin series and the um, Bitcoin Island they had a developer that created the Pouch PA wallet and so the ability to like seamlessly go back and forth between Sats and the local currency was huge for them and then in that app they also included things that the the local people needed like the local people they um the, the way that they they pay for their services is like 
through their phone. So they incorporated an easy way to do it through pouch, things, things like that. Do you guys have something? And the reason I'm bringing this up is because that was a mate. Like those guys in seven months, they went from zero to hundreds of merchants onboarded. And I could go there today and spend Bitcoin. They did that in seven months. So, I'm, so I feel like that's a very powerful thing. Do you guys have anything like that or? No, no, but no, but we have a similar Bitcoin experience. So um, I'll back into that question. But the it was really critical for us that um, I wanted to make sure that if some if a Bitcoiner came to Panachel, uh, even if they flew into Guatemala City, that they could get to Panachel, live in Panachel, sleep in Panachel, go to a bar, go to a restaurant, go to a grocery store, get your hair cut get stuff printed on paper, get stickers made, all paying in Bitcoin. So you can effectively come to Panachel and um, if you want to live completely on Bitcoin, you can live completely on Bitcoin. That was that was critical for us. Um, now, uh, you know, in, in the short amount of time that we've been doing what we're doing throughout Guatemala, we have um, nearly 200 businesses that are accepting Bitcoin. Oh, that's um, so that's amazing. Yeah. So suffice it to say, uh, that was really critical for us. Um, but the one of the, I guess, the disadvantages of our team is we really don't have any coding experience. And so when I first started the project, we I was kind of weighing different wallet options. And I remember in uh, November or December of last year, um, when I was kind of introducing the project to the community before launching, we were, I think we were using just Wallet of Satoshi because it was just so, it's just so easy to use. Um, but then as I started researching different wallets and trying to understand what I wanted to accomplish with the community, we really favored and landed on the Bitcoin Beach um, wallet. And it, and, and, you know, I can say this with all transparency and Bitcoin Beach won't mind. Uh, you know, it's it wasn't perfect. Uh, I don't I don't even think right now there's a perfect solution out there uh, because everyone's got such unique needs. But it was a it was a starting point for us. And, and what was so important for us is, uh, number one, within the Bitcoin Beach wallet. By the way, if, if your listeners are here in the U.S., um, you can't download the Bitcoin Beach wallet. It's not available in the U.S., but if you're outside the U.S., you can download it. Um but within the Bitcoin Beach wallet, there's a map. So uh, having started, you know, I'm an entrepreneur in, in addition to being a doctor. So I, I know I know kind of the sales process. And so, you know, if you go up to a vendor and you say, hey, you know, Jose down the street's accepting Bitcoin, um, he might believe you. But if you go to the next vendor, you say, you know, Jose and Mario and you know, um, Enrique are accepting Bitcoin, you might get some raised eyebrows, but if you can show them on a map that, you know, their, their um, peers are accepting Bitcoin, that became a huge thing for us. Um, and even at the beginning, when there weren't any vendors in Panachel that were accepting Bitcoin, we could scroll over to El Salvador and show them, you know, look, this is what's going on in El Salvador, and this is what we want to do here. And so one of the kind of really the painful painful points for us for the application were, number one, the application was denominated in Satoshis and USD. It was not denominated in the local currency. That was a, it, it, it wasn't, it was a pain point. We were able to overcome that objection, but I think the greatest pain point 
and I think any Bitcoin community leader will tell you this was the volatility of Bitcoin. And so um, the when we got early access to the stable stats function within the Bitcoin Beach wallet, I think in August we were able to access that feature. So you could receive Bitcoin and move it uh, straight into USD um, within the within the app and and um, uh, avoid the volatility. So that that really really opened up doors for us to go back to vendors that were concerned about the volatility. Um, and then early on, we had someone just reach out reached out to me on Twitter, and said he come and see what we were doing at Bitcoin Lake. I think this was in March. And he and his girlfriend uh, came from Columbia. They're Swiss, but they were in Columbia at the time. And he's actually a coder. And he helped solve some of these problems. Uh, we created our own POS system, point of sale system, that you could put in a Bitcoin Beach username and you could pay them in any currency that you So if you were, if you were there and your app uh, was an Australian dollar, you could pull down a menu and pay an Australian dollar and, and convert it into the local KidSAL. Um, so th- we've just had phenomenal people like uh, Fabu and his girlfriend Mel come. We've had uh, miners come that, you know, I'm not, I'm the vision guy. And I'm not a technical guy. I don't understand, you know, I understand the, the high level stuff about all this, but I'm not, I, I can't manage. It's too much to manage, but we've just had wonderful Bitcoiners come and see what we're doing completely blown away. And, uh, they just want to help because what they see of what they see. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Bitcoiners. We, we love helping people. I mean, that's part of what's so inspiring yeah. about Bitcoin. Um, what, yeah. one of the, one of the like coolest, most amazing things about the Bitcoin Lake project is your mining and what you guys are doing with mining. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So, the, and just, you know, full disclosure up front, um, the mining has become a very difficult lift for us. We, I thought it was going to go a lot easier than it has, but it's, it's become a difficult lift. But let me give you the vision and then kind of where we, the concept with the mining that, that I generated was to go down and use initially solar. And I wrote about this. I, I, I started documenting all of this in September of last year on Medium. Um, so if anybody wants to go back and kind of see the genesis or where everything started, you can just type in my username on, on Medium, 67 Corvette, and you can kind of see what the plan was. And, and I kind of um, to kind of document our process and, and change um, because we have changed uh, what we've done. So the plan was to use solar, went down there. I was on a spaces early this year and someone suggested that, Patrick, you know, you really should probably consider another energy source because solar is so expensive. And that was Ricardo Camarón in Mexico. And he said, you know, why don't you look into bio mining using uh, methane gas? And so I started looking at the, the uh, wastewater treatment facility upon his suggestion. And the reason for that, there's a large biodigester there that was cracked and it was just leaking methane. So um, the plan was to try to use capture that methane and flare it. And then early on, Bill Whitaker uh, uh, involved in what we were doing down there, and uh, he was very interested in uh, using renewable energy sources, and, and he's made several trips down there. So as we went down, kind of explored what was going on, uh, we found that, okay, maybe solar's not going to work, 
the biodigester at the wastewater treatment facility, it's going to work, but then we have to interface with the municipality and, and the red tape and, and all that. And it's not like it's not doable, but it's just a, it's just a hassle we didn't want to put up with. So then um, we started kind of going farther up, upstream, so to speak, and found that uh, there's a technology that we were uh, introduced to that will take basically unsorted municipal waste, organic, inorganic. You can literally back a truck up to this, this um, facility and burn it in such a way that there's no, it's, it's an indirect heat uh, process. Uh, there's no combustible or um, uh, vented organics coming out of it or anything like that. But um, we could use this to create energy and mine Bitcoin at the same time. It's a fascinating technology. Uh, and that's thought. But the, um, and then Bill on one of his trips decided that he was just going to see if, if, if uh, they could use seed oil to, and an old diesel generator to start hashing. And that became basically our Kaboom Energy Project. And the Kaboom Energy Project uh, is really a proof of concept um, the, to show that really using wasted energy uh, and oil that would have either ended up in the landfill or ended up in the street, you can uh, create Bitcoin Using a 30 or 40 year old diesel generator, um, you can create Bitcoin and using basically um, recycled S9 machines, so e-waste. So we're using every form of recycled material to create Bitcoin. And he, he set it up and I, I wasn't there when he did it. And uh, when I saw it, it's a sight to behold. I mean, because when you when you think about mining, if if any of your listeners or viewers mine, or you think about mining, you think about just plugging a, a a miner into the wall socket, or if you host mining, you just think somewhere in the facility they turn the energy on and and they start mining, which is true. But then when you see what was not energy become energy to make Bitcoin in front of your eyes within the with the span of about 10 minutes. I mean, it's, it's, it's really fascinating. It's really fascinating. Uh, anyway, that's kind of what we're doing right now. No, that's so the goal. The goal. Yeah. So the goal, I'm sorry, Anthony. So the goal is at one point we want to take the, the landfill waste um, and use that to create Bitcoin, thereby creating a financial incentive for people to dispose of their, their waste properly and hopefully save the lake. The, the awesome. one thing about the lake is it's like any developing country. It's not that the citizens of Pontiacell don't care about their lake. They love their lake, but they don't have the means um, or the finances to take care of it properly. And so all the waste comes down into the lake because the landfill is actually about 3,000 feet above the lake. Um, and, you know, all the farming manure, you know, just all that just drains down to the lake. And we're hoping that Bitcoin's going to change that that incentive and create economic opportunity at the same time. So that's that's kind of where we're at right now. And um, yeah, if people want to get involved, please reach out to me. Yeah. Uh, no, that so that's fantastic. So there's a whole bunch to unpack there. So when you're talking <laughs> about the seed oil, I, I just want to I want to flesh that out because that's beautiful. So you're talking yeah. about <laughs> you're talking about spent vegetable oil right that's yes. been used in a restaurant or something that normally you just throw that away well now that's fuel and then you're talking about an old diesel generator that you know is 
whatever you could use it for a home or or whatever and because it's diesel you can convert the vegetable oil it'll run off of it and all this kind of stuff and then you're talking about s9s which for like a mining business s9s are not viable that's trash so that's essentially right. essentially you're just taking all these things which are quote unquote not useful anymore and you're turning them into bitcoin and you're doing right. it in, you're doing it in a way that's like way more affordable than you know buying a brand new S19 or although S19s have become much more affordable yeah. than they were a year ago. <laughs> but um, that, yes. that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think the really more important um, aspect to this is um, the the absolute decentralization that um, this provides for decentralization of the hash rate that this provides for poor and disadvantaged communities in the global south. I mean, um, you know, does it does it matter if the S9 is not efficient? No. I mean, if you've got some sort of wasted energy source in, in a village in Central Africa or in the jungles of Guatemala, then you can create Bitcoin, you know, or a few Satoshis or whatever. I mean, that's that's just that's just unheard of. So I, I think that's the most beautiful thing about um, the, the possibilities here. And by no means is what we're doing efficient at this point. It's just a proof of concept. I think I think about, you know, what we're doing is like a startup. When a startup thinks of a of a new product idea, a lot of times it doesn't even work. It's just an idea and it leads to further innovation. So we've got to if, if we want to truly make it efficient, we've got to you know, secure the access to the oil and make it efficient and, and all that. But, you know, that's we're here to demonstrate a proof of concept that that can be replicated anywhere in the world. And the really cool thing about the diesel engine also is I don't know how long it had been sitting unused, but it was really not being used. I mean, it, it yeah. literally was under a tarp and Bill and and a couple of other guys went to another city about an hour and a half away and thing. Um and the other amazing thing about the seed oil that is just totally um, remarkable that, you know, not even before we uh, started doing this is in places like Guatemala. Okay. So like if you go to a McDonald's in or a KFC in Guatemala city, they're using top tier, you know, seed oil, right? Cause they're buying it straight from the distributor. Um, well, when they're done using it, however long it takes a, a day or a week or whatever, uh, there's still value in that seed oil. They will then sell it to a secondary market, and um, the the local Guatemalan shops or the Guatemalan chains will buy that because they're not McDonald's and they're not KFC. They don't have these this quality standard that when you go when you eat at a McDonald's in LA, you want to taste the same as it does in Guatemala City. So these secondary chains will buy the used seed oil. They will use it for however much time that then becomes a wasted uh, or used product that is then sold on the tertiary market, fourth market, fifth market, until it can't be used anymore. So it's really uh, disgusting to think that um, uh, this oil, probably even by the time we got it, was probably had been used five or six times. But it's, it's absolute sweet justice <laughs> to know yeah. that you can make Bitcoin. Yeah. From seed oil, absolutely. Well, and you're talking about a proof of concept, you know, like a startup. 
you guys have figured it out. Can you just explain the whole story? We started here, we started there, and then what we got to was seed oil on a diesel engine, and that looks good. So as long as that like energy continues to like move forward, you guys are gonna figure it out. And if you're monetizing waste, like it's it's waste. There is no value in it. It's worth zero. So if you can make it worth more than zero and you get that going, now people start looking at a landfill that is X amount of feet above the lake, polluting the lake, and they just, you know, they just say, well, if instead of throwing it away there, we bring it over here and we could earn some money, then then you guys are really are really onto something. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I really, what's really cool is the largest landfill in Central America is in Guatemala City. Um, it's it's a massive landfill and it would be so, so cool to see that one day um, just this massive landfill could be um, basically um, not re-energized, but um, reclaimed uh, and energy could be produced. And the, the really cool thing about it in our model that we're developing is we're not displacing work. So in these landfills, even in the small landfill, um, there in Ponticello, and I've witnessed this, you, you get people that when the trucks come and dump the, the trash, you get people that are called pickers that come and, and pick up all the recycled materials, you know, plastics and, and cans and stuff like that. And our process doesn't eliminate that. We, what we do is actually make it safer and um, still provide economic opportunity uh, for those people that still want to do that. that, that I, I love every part of this. And I can't help but feel like the only thing missing is you just haven't met the right person. Because, I mean, there's already people, like, working on, you know, flaring methane. There's people in the United yeah. States that are attaching to to landfills. Like, Bitcoin is this amazing opportunity for the world. And this is just one of those things. So here you have this large landfill in the city that can be monetized. And it's literally like Bitcoin is just walking around, like picking money up out of garbage. It's just nobody's right, doing right. it yet. So, That's right. so yeah, so Vespian Energy in California is doing the landfill and, you know, you've got uh, upstream data uh, that's doing the, and there are several other companies that are using a third methane off of uh, uh, oil pads uh, to, to mine Bitcoin. And no one, no one has approached the, the the trash aspect yet. So that's basically what we're working on with this company out of the UK. And yeah, we're 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 kind of we've got a big nugget of funding that we need to get um, to kind of get that going. And um, yeah, it's a matter of time though. It's just you know the, we started with Bitcoin Lake when Bitcoin was you know in the 40s. And I think we've all seen it in the space that enthusiasm has just, I mean, yeah. I, I don't, you know, our enthusiasm hasn't changed, but I think the, the vibe um, uh, has kind of gone down a little bit. And, um, but yeah, it'll turn around. Yeah, it's just a matter of time. Honestly, this is why, like, this is one of the benefits of doing, you know, these interviews. So it goes in both directions, right? I've just hit. It just hit the crap out of my mic. <laughs> it goes in both directions. So it's not just awesome because, you know, you guys tell your story and then I can deliver that to people who haven't heard the story, which that in and of itself is important and amazing. But it, I also feel like it goes the other way because so, to so many Americans, Bitcoin 
the value of Bitcoin is entirely enshrined in its fiat value. So when number goes down, oh, it's Bitcoin is worthless. Oh, it used to be 60,000 and now it's 17,000 and God, you're a stupid moron or whatever, right? But when you can present this story, you'd be like, no, it's not worthless. Look what's happening here. Look what it's doing for these people there. You know, um, so that that's that's where that's where I'm at, you know, and it's um, and, and I know it takes people. Uh, it, it, there's a journey because it all yeah, starts sure. with how can this make me rich? And then you learn this is not here to make you rich. Like a a perfect store of value is just one aspect of what's going on here. There's That's also right. freedom and liberty and an honest money for an honest world. And there's all these other things that are that are important too. So yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah. So okay. Well, that's amazing. That it's so the funding you're talking about funding. Um, I don't I don't know if you want to talk about money or whatever, but how either what what are you guys trying to accomplish? Are you are you raising funds? Are you trying to get funds from? How are you? Do you need help with this? Uh, yeah, we need help. Um, I I really don't like to talk to specifics because I don't. I feel like the funding, if, if someone's interested in what we're doing, they'll reach out and, and um, kind of, you know, check us out. Um, just suffice it to say that, you know, um, you know, it's going to at least uh, several hundred thousands of dollars to kind of get this project where it needs to go. And you just just think about the the I guess the way to think about how much money we need is if you were starting Google and you understood the opportunity of dematerializing, you know, encyclopedias or whatnot, then you, you understand the value of uh, or the, the, the need of um, what, what it's going to cost. And it's the same thing. If you, can, if you can understand the value of basically monetizing trash and uh, what, what that will do to transform uh, these local economies. And think about it now. I mean, to provide energy security at a time when, you know, we really don't have control over, you know, our, I mean, especially with the current administration and I don't like to be political, but, you know, uh, if, if we could somehow figure out how to make this a, a really viable project, which it will be one day soon, but, um, and provide energy security in places that people need energy security because everybody produces waste. So it's theoretical that in every location where waste is produced, they could have energy security um, because you can you can if you can mine Bitcoin from it, obviously you're you're producing energy, so you can you can parse it and create a grid um, uh, based on um, on that. Yeah. Yeah. That was so, kind of long-winded. We, no, no, but I mean I can summarize because this is beautiful. So essentially, you have you're taking trash, which you either dig a hole in the ground and you put the trash in there to rot and pollute the environment. There's one option or the other option is you monetize that trash. You turn it into energy, which you can mine Bitcoin while at the same time providing energy in places where normally there would be no energy, especially in disadvantaged and underprivileged communities. But Bitcoin is bad for the environment, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, this yeah. is insanity. Like this, this, this is just the perfect marriage of like, what you need to solve problems for yeah. people who really so, need problems solved. 
Yeah, it's what, it's what I like to call the virtuous cycle um, in recycling. So imagine, I just thought of this as you were talking, but just imagine you're walking through the airport or you're walking down the street and you see a bin and instead of the little, you know, recycle logo, you see, you know, basically a recycle logo, but the, the terminal end is not a continuous loop. The terminal end is trash to Bitcoin. So you, you, you could imagine every time you're throwing something into a bin, you're creating Satoshi's. <laughs> um, that's, that's, that's essentially what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. You know, that, um, that's amazing, man. So we, we've almost hit the one hour mark and I, I love that analogy that you just gave. I think that's, that's good energy to kind of wrap up on, but before we wrap up, do you have any last things or any last thoughts or any last words, you know, that you want to get out there? Give me a, uh, well, I appreciate that, Anthony. Um, I, I guess my last thoughts and words would be, number one, I'm just truly grateful for uh, Bitcoiners that see the work that we're doing. Um, I am obviously very grateful for stat chainers and the energy there uh, for what you guys have done for us. And, you know, um, if uh, I can guarantee you that if you come to Ponichel, uh, you, will, you will be blown away. Uh, I took a group of about 30 from adopting Bitcoin to Panachel after the adopting Bitcoin conference and to a man they or and woman, they were completely blown away by what we've done. So, you know, if you have it on your radar, please come down and visit us. Just reach out to me on Twitter um, at Lake Bitcoin, uh, Lago Bitcoin, Lago is Lake in Spanish, at Lake Bitcoin on Twitter. And um, yeah, I, whatever your skill set, uh, please come down and, and be a part of, of what we're doing. Yeah. That's fantastic. And with that, guys, I'm going to go ahead and sign off. Bitcoiners, have fun stacking sats. <laughs>